Hello and welcome to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Scots have been migrating to Tasmania virtually since its foundation as a British colony more than 200 years ago and their mark and influence can be seen all over the place. But what about in more recent years? Do Scotland and Tasmania have the same ties as in the past? The Scottish migrant community in Tasmania is certainly on the old side, but Scots haven't stopped coming here, though the reasons for coming are perhaps different now to what they were in the past. My guest for this episode is Ross, and when he left school he had a passion for aquaculture, a field which would prove instrumental in him first finding a job and then forging a career in fish farming in Tasmania and then being able to ride the wave of the flourishing salmon farming industry in the last 20 years. Indeed, it's something both Scotland and Tasmania are famous for. Although now 20 years in Tasmania, Ross still retains ties with his homeland. Amongst other things, you will also learn about the Scottish take on the French croissant. So I grew up in, in Ayrshire, so a town called Irvine, which is kind of the west central central part of Scotland, maybe 40 minutes from Glasgow, near the coast. Yeah, so I went to primary school there. Yeah, which was quite nice. It was quite a country kind of feel to it and lots of little rivers and forests and stuff you can go and hide out on. And looking back, it was quite um, quite a fortunate place quite lucky to grow up there to be honest yeah so is 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 Irvine like what kind of town is it like what 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 are the sort of industries what do people live from there when I was growing up there it was what one of I don't know maybe there was a a few towns called new towns which got given their own special corporation to develop the town in Scotland and and that meant they got a little bit more money to grow and do things so um, I think there was a paper mill there um, probably employed a lot of people from the power stations up the coast. So there was a couple of power stations um, not far away. Um, we had the development corporation and, and they, they built and did all sorts of things. We had the biggest indoor sports centre in, in Scotland built at the time called the Magnum Centre, which was massive. It had ice rinks and squash oh, yeah. courts and massive swimming pool. It was the first 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 flumes uh, water slides in Scotland there as well, down by the, the waterfront which actually got knocked down a couple of years ago, so that was a bit disappointing. (laughs) It reached the end of its life, I think. And there was, probably back in the day, there was fishing. There was an old fishing port there and a bit of farming. It was quite a biggish town, so I can't remember how many people, but there was a good mix of everything there. You know, you had your standard, your your council house area, and um, because it was a, a new town, there was lots of new housing developments going on, and it was expanding a little bit like, Kingston is at the minute so kind of a developing town um, and yeah you know just a, a mix of everything really yeah I wouldn't say it was a wealthy town by any stretch of the imagination but just kind of your average Scottish town yeah so um, my dad's English my mum's Scottish her, her side of the family were all from Fife and Kirkcaldy and that, that's that area and my dad uh, is from Liverpool and they, they met in the Air Force. I think they lived in England for quite a few, well I know they did live in England for quite a few years down in Wigan. My, my older brother, had my older brother there although he was born in Scotland and I actually was born in England but then we moved immediately to Scotland about okay. months later. So there was no, yeah there was no family and it was quite, you, you're going back 
Yeah, 30 odd, 40 years, like getting from Irvine to the east coast of Scotland wasn't an easy task back then. Mm -hmm. There wasn't, there's a lot more direct roads and highways and motorways these days, but um, by all accounts, it was a bit of a trek in the old Ford Cortina or whatever it was, or the Allegro mm -hmm. or the Lada <laughs> that people were driving at the time, especially in the winter when some of the roads were. Because it was on the coast, you had to kind of go up over, I guess, a moorland area to get, get towards Glasgow. So that was a bit, a bit treacherous in the winter. You know, mm -hmm. there, would, there would be quite often blocked off with snow and yeah. After that, we moved to um, north of Glasgow and went to high school there and then moved out of home to go to uni so went to Stirling for okay. three or four years or four years five years yeah and the amount, amount of houses and share flats you live in over that period of time is just quite scary really mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so you went to pr primary school in Ayrshire yeah yeah and then uh, again probably because of well because of family work circumstances we moved I like probably the equivalent of year five or six okay so just finishing off primary school uh, moved to the north of Glasgow, which when you say Glasgow, it certainly wasn't. The the city part of Glasgow was maybe half an hour north in a place called Lennox Town, which is in Dumbartonshire, but it's a small mining, old mining village really. Like there's quite a difference set up to urban, so quite small. And, and you had some of the larger satellite towns from Glasgow, like Kirk and Tillock and Bishop Briggs, which were bigger. But yeah, there wasn't, wasn't a lot going on really for people. There was a lack of jobs as well, okay. so... It was really, it was a beautiful place to live because it literally was surrounded by farmland. And then we had the Campsie Hills basically backing on to the end of our street, which is the start of the Highlands. So you could literally walk 50 meters and through into the farmer's paddocks. And then, you know, you could go up and find old Roman forts and all these mm. kind of weird and wonderful things going on, on on the hill. And even, you know, sometimes just walk up the hill when you were kids because you had nothing else to do. You just... So it was quite lucky. And we didn't have snakes or <laughs> things that can kill you here. So you, you never ever worried about that. <laughs> yeah. You just went for the walk. <laughs> what are sort of your strongest memories of going to high school there? So the school's since been knocked down. So that's, you know, when you, yeah, it was quite an old school, like massive staircases big big wooden banisters and huge these huge high ceiling classrooms in parts of it so it was quite an old school there was always kind of artifacts from decades gone by when you know you'd hear stories about corporal punishment and people getting beat up by the teachers and the mm -hmm. straps the straps were still there like it was never there when I was there but I know my brother told me stories of when he was at school and him getting a strap and um but it was, it was it was a fun time it was just growing up when you were a kid like you know it was pretty there was a lot of kind of camaraderie and a lot of fun there was a lot of kind of emotional stuff to deal with as you're growing up and you see that with i see that with my kids now like they're going through school and, and you forget how tough it can be sometimes mm. you know you're lumped in with all these kids and you know the slightest little thing they can pick up and that's you berated yeah. for the rest of the school term <laughs> you know yeah I guess one thing I realised when I came here, when you, the more you socialise with people when you talk about your upbringing, the more you realise that it, it was quite a hard school. Quite a, you know, there was a lot of hard okay. areas. There was a lot of people, a lot of fights and things. You just, you know, you had to be quite tough-skinned. Yeah, quite upright in terms of how you dealt with things, I found, yeah. 
was the school in the same area where you lived? Yeah, it was. It was close. It was yeah. so that our town was only big enough for um, a couple of primary schools, and they always get in Scotland. They get split into Catholic and Protestant still because there's mm -hmm. that divide. So if you're Catholic, you go to the Catholic school, and if you're Protestant, okay. you go to the Protestant school, and that's it. No argument. And then I think it was in, in Kirk and Tillich and Bishop Briggs and a couple of other places had high schools, so we used to get the bus into Kirk and Tillich to the St Ninians, it was called. <laughs> Because you mentioned that divide between Protestant and, and Catholic. Yeah. And I know that, that Glasgow is one of the really most cities where that's a really marked feature. Yeah, Edinburgh to some degree, but really Glasgow is just, you know, it's, it's almost like a mini Ireland in that sense. Yeah. So, yeah, there was lots of pro-IRE kind of songs getting sung on the school buses. Okay. There was... Um, anti-loyalist songs and you know all, all that kind of stuff and that was just part of you know they would get sung on the school buses so it was like and you didn't even know half of what it was meant but you were just singing it because you were catholic and you grew up and you were sporting celtic and and that's what you sung at the the football games when you went to the football and um yeah and it's change, changing a lot now but you know that you can't change overnight hundreds something that's hundreds of years in the making can you yeah, and I guess it's a very deeply tribal mm. thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Where everyone, you're part of a group, and so you're expected to behave in this certain way yeah, and yeah. do all these things. Yeah. You know, the same with, you know, we were talking about like some of the Eastern European stuff and, you know, Serbia and Croatia, you know, that's, you know, the same way that they're, they've got that rivalry, you know, for different reasons, but it's kind of ingrained and it's not going away anytime soon. But yeah, it's quite, it was one of the reasons I was quite happy to leave because mm -hmm. it just caused too many issues yeah. you know you, there was too many times I find myself walking down walking down the street in Glasgow and you just get accosted by a couple of people you know you Celtic or Rangers are you Catholic or Protestant and it's like toss a coin am I going to get in a fight or not <laughs> like what do you do sometimes, sometimes people just look for a fight but um, there's more there's other things to worry about in life rather than that kind of stuff to be honest like, uh, really <laughs> I guess that you get more perspective when you leave as well yeah you do but I, you know I think the perspective's there I think yeah it's just quite like you say it's, it's quite short sighted I get why it happens and I get the history and all that kind of stuff but you know at some point you just gotta look forward a little bit and um, it wasn't it was something I was quite I wasn't fussed about leaving behind really mm -hmm. yeah so so at the time like when you were young did, were you sort of conscious that that was all a bit strange or, or whatever or was that something you kind of realized later no i think even growing up yeah mm -hmm. like i did go to like i was never a super massive fan of like one of the, the football teams like i was having a dad that was from liverpool i kind of grew up supporting liverpool more ironically mm -hmm. and maybe because we, we went to primary school in in ayrshire a little bit removed from glasgow so it was then going Glasgow and then what's all this Celtic Rangers Catholic Protestant thing all about is quite it's quite different quite noticeable and yeah the area that we, we lived was definitely divided like I said the schools are divided and you know everything's pubs you know you get Celtic pubs and Catholic pubs and mm. Protestant pubs <laughs> so yeah I'm definitely aware of it at a young age and you know so when you're start growing up and becoming a young adult you're thinking hmm is this something I want to have to deal with or yeah, mm. yeah. It's reminded me actually 
been in Scotland that some pubs they also have to have signs, don't they? That not showing no football colours. Yeah, yeah, it's quite common. When you were at sort of school age, like high school age, like did you have any sort of idea of what you might do in the future once you left school? Yeah, so I think it would have been about grade nine or ten. I don't know if you have it here, but you have work experience where you yeah. take a week or two and go work somewhere. And it, they're usually doled out to you, so you get the choice of the local newspaper or the radio yeah. station or the petrol station or engineers or whatever it is. And, um, and I've been into trout fishing for quite a while and I decided I wouldn't mind going and working on one of these. Uh, it, was a, it was actually a trout farm fishery and a deer farm as well. I wouldn't mind going and trying that out. And it wasn't, you know, it was a little bit out the way but it wasn't ridiculous so I went and did that and I think from there on I was pretty focused that I wanted to work in aquaculture well it was just fish farming at the time it wasn't mm-hmm. you know it was called aquaculture but salmon and trout farming was still pretty young in Scotland and you had to go and work in the middle of nowhere out in the west coast and north and the highlands um, so yeah that's kind of what I started to focus on really and, mm-hmm. and what I needed you know you you want to speak to your guidance teacher after a few years and she didn't have a clue so she was like I'm sorry I can't help you you're just gonna to have to do this one on your own but there was only so many places so it was um my first choice of uni was to go to England actually to go to Liverpool because I wanted mm-hmm. to get a season ticket with my student loans and go and watch Liverpool every week <laughs> that was the sole decision that was the sole decision and that was fresh water freshwater biology or freshwater ecology I think I can't remember and then the second choice was actually to do aquaculture at Stirling because they, at Stirling Uni, they had, you know, one of the biggest aquaculture departments. Well, definitely the biggest in the UK. So that was quite, that was only half an hour up the road. Uh, so anyway, I, I wasn't keen to hang around at school any mm-hmm. longer than I needed to. So, and Stirling was just half an hour up the road. So I could move out of the home. I could go into this, always a residence and I was close enough that I could jump on the train and be back home and, 40 minutes as well which was kind of kind of handy decided that's what I'd do and got 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 the grades scraped them <laughs> to get in and was there like a, was there a clear career path in aquaculture at the time no like there was I think what attracted me was was the fact that it was something I could like travel and okay. do just about anywhere and it was outdoors so as part of the degree we got a travel grant so we could go away for half the year and people you know one, one of the someone actually came to Tasmania the year before me and worked at the the Seahorse Center yeah and I read her dissertation it was quite good and um someone went to the Solomon Islands people went to America to Europe I went to Thailand you know people you know really went all over and and you get that with every everything these days I think people travel traveling for work's just you can do anything but I think at the time it was like oh this is mm-hmm. kind of interesting so yeah and then um, I think I'd been kind of interested in Australia before then but hadn't really taken much notice and when I was at uni I had a girlfriend who was kind of half half Scottish well she wasn't she well she was kind of half Scottish half Australian okay. like her family lived between the two places so, so a couple of times you know during that long summer break in the UK we'd come out here and we came out here and did a bit of traveling up the east coast and and i was pretty set that you know no matter what happens i, 
I come out and do the work and holiday visa and, and had visions of um, working up in Queensland in my shorts and t-shirts and <laughs> yeah, wrangling crocodiles and massive tuna down in Port Lincoln and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So when I when I finished after working for a year, after maybe about one winter, I think working outdoors again in Scotland, I was like, nah, nah, this is not happening. So I just knuckled down and did what every other kind of 20 year old does and works and works and works and works and saved every penny and till they've paid their flight and got like a couple of grand mm -hmm. <laughs> enough to see them through a few weeks and uh, yeah came out with some friends and did a little bit of traveling and then yeah partied a little bit too much and ran out of money pretty quickly or way, way quicker than I thought I was going to do <laughs> which was quite quite a worry at the time because you know you're staring down the barrel of like how as a backpacker how are you going to we really are going to have to go and pick fruit in the middle of nowhere at this rate. This, this is, and there wasn't a lot of jobs kicking around back then either. It was pretty. Um, Two thousand one wasn't maybe the easiest, but anyway, I got. I just I thought I'd get a job down here in Tassie, and sure enough, you know, I have to just pinging people on the phone and emailing people at the time, and yes, yeah, someone offered me a job, like for three months as part of the mm -hmm. the visa and. And that was really, you know, it was a godsend because again, I just worked for three months and lived in a caravan and saved money and yeah. yeah. And what was the job? It was just hatchery, you know, working on a salmon hatchery. It was actually up at Mountfield National Park, just on the edge okay. there. So it was an old family-owned company, uh, one of the first kind of trout farms back in the day. But it was, you know, it's beautiful up in Mountfield, mm. you know. So when I wasn't working, I was walking around. Russell Falls and all the tracks up there it was you know pretty amazing it was a good time of year as well so it was kind of arrived I think in March so I'd March April May so, uh, so yeah. just before the turning of the Vegas and all that. yeah yeah and it definitely you know it's, it was definitely warm like hot in March as well mm -hmm. but not not full-on winter time or living in the caravan anyway that was <laughs> <laughs> and that, that all worked out you know it was a really I really enjoyed it and they wanted they asked me to stay on. So I had a had a trip to the mainland with some friends and had that kind of moment where I was in Sydney with some really old you know, old friends from uni, you know, having a more than a few beers and getting up and just sitting there thinking and they were went off travelling and it was more of one of those moments where you know that I can go keep going travelling or I can get in the car that's already packed and come back to Tassie and because part of the deal was they'd sponsor me to get my residency as like it was a regional sponsored and um yeah that was something that was on my tick list that i needed you know if you want to stay here that's you need that so you have to make that decision i think so it was quite a big decision i was just like i need to go I got in the car and toddled off back here and yeah yeah i haven't looked back since really yeah <laughs> so at the time were there were there any alternatives that you could have gone to if you hadn't come to tasmania and stayed in Tasmania? Yeah, well, I was in Adelaide first, so I was trying to get a job with the tuna farms, mm -hmm. and I think there was something else out there, but yeah, things were pretty pretty dire. Like I couldn't, you couldn't find, we couldn't find anything in Adelaide. Like, there was two or three of us, and we all really struggled, even to get bar work, or, yeah, so it was, it was a bit of a struggle, but um, there's, there's always options. Some, it's just about timing, isn't it? Yeah. For these things, but the, you know, there was prawns and barramundi, but they were all quite in their, inf like, really in their infancy. Whereas back in 2001, you had this, the kind of aquaculture industry here was just about, I mean, 
they had some consolidation where you know all the companies basically went bust basically mm. so Tassau went into receivership and bought two other companies who were also going to go into receivership and and anyone that didn't came really close so it was a tough time to begin with it was all right but then it was quite tough for quite a few years you know you didn't have a lot of money to spend but I think that's what consolidated that whole industry and allowed it to to grow really yeah yeah so there wasn't I did look look at doing other things with, with other companies during that time but um, I, I was was quite focused on I enjoyed where I worked and seeing at that time to get my to get my citizenship really yeah and then once you've got your citizenship you're a little bit more free was it a relatively easy thing settling into life on a permanent basis in Tasmania or were there a few challenges or, or things you had to adapt to perhaps mm, so I settled in really well I'll be honest like I, I, I really liked living here like the pace of Hobart you know I was 23 when I came here so you know and people used to say there wasn't a lot of stuff here for young people but I guess life's what you make of it isn't it yeah, so yeah. certainly um didn't have any issues you know it was quite a fun place to hang out yeah it wasn't Sydney or any of these places but you know there was plenty of places to go out and have a drink com compared to and some nice little pubs and places to hang out and you're at the foot of Mount Wellington so tons of stuff to do in terms of walking and going down the beach and scuba diving or surfing or riding a bike or playing golf or whatever it is you want really yeah and the climate was you know leaving Scotland again one of the other things you wanted to get away from the cold and the damp and the wet and everyone says well why do you come here but it's it's not comparable to Scotland oh, I no. have to say. it's it's <laughs> it's like I've seen an ad when I was back in Scotland once we've seen an ad that the Royal Hobart was doing to try and get staff when it was in the Glasgow one of the Glasgow newspapers and they described it as come work in a tropical paradise <laughs> <laughs> and I was like check this out like they're trying to get and it is, you know, for people in Scotland. When you first settled here, you got you got sponsored. W were you sort of expecting to stay here for the rest, you know, 20 years like mm, you did? Don't know. I don't, don't know what. Like, I, I'd really just focused on, you know, get my citizenship and then we can, I can see what happens. And, mm -hmm. you know, you never know what's going to happen. And in between that time, I'd met my now ex-wife. So when I got my citizenship, and she was from Tasmania, but she had mm -hmm. a Scottish family. We decided that we'd take a year and go traveling or go to Europe at least. And we could, we went, visited my parents and worked. We both got jobs and started working in Scotland and just hung out there for a little while. And I kind of gave up fish farming a little bit because I was, okay. yeah, decided maybe it's not for me. But six months later, I got a job in Belgium so we moved to Belgium for this fish farming job which wasn't what it turned out to be just because of the language difficulties and it was it was too far ahead of its time but it was such an interesting thing to do really to go out and work in the middle of Belgium for mm. five or six months and then we we're like well what should we do now when that kind of was obvious it was coming it came to an end and we thought about going back to Aberdeen because that's where we both worked and we could get our jobs kind of probably likely we could have got the jobs back we had but we'd looked at buying a flat and I remember at the time Aberdeen was a it was like a bit like Perth you know during the mining boom mm. it 
it really took off when oil prices went back up and everyone made their headquarters there. So getting a flat, you know, you'd go in, it was like Hobart in the last two years, trying to buy a house, you'd go in with 20 others. Yeah. And it was just, they go offers over 200 grand and it'd go for 360. Wow. So it was, it was just insane. And we got caught up in that and we started to get closer and closer because we were, we were trying to buy a flat at the time and we had a house here. And eventually we got to that stage where we were like, well, you know, for the kind of money that we're offering on a two bedroom flat in Aberdeen with no garden and no nothing else and a bit ground floor or whatever, we could, you know, just buy something nicer in Hobart because mm. back then Hobart prices were still pretty cheap. Well, they're not cheap now, but certainly back then they were. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and we thought we'd be able to get jobs back here, which we did in the end. Sometimes it's a little bit tricky when you come back to Hobart after being away to, to fall into, get back into it. But, um, yeah, we just came back and bought, a new, bought another house, sold our one, bought another one, and then within two months it was like we never left. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know about whether I ever thought I'd stay here long term. I knew it was a possibility because especially mm-hmm. when you meet someone and you have kids and that was, you know, it's a great place to, to have kids. But then we did, got two kids. We went to New South Wales for a year, like south of Sydney. I could have seen myself living there permanently, mm-hmm. just the climate and that kind of beach way of life was really attractive. And it wasn't too hot. Certainly see the, seeing the kids grow up there and like, man, you hardly ever needed to wash any clothes because they were just running around in shorts all the time. Yeah. Whereas here, like, it's, <laughs> you know, trousers and T-shirts and jumpers yeah. and jackets. and. But I've been back to Scotland a few times the last year and um, I'd always said I'd never, was never interested in moving back or I, there was nothing I'd move back for, really. Whereas okay. having been back a few times... I'm definitely, you know, when the kids grow up, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. At least doing it for a couple of years, if that's, you know, why not? And have you know, like, have you been back to the, sort of the places where you grew up? Yeah, yeah. I, we specifically went to quite a few places, which was quite intriguing. They didn't look what I, they definitely were the same place and they looked the same. And But maybe your memories, it's always bright sunshine like your happy memories and this you know it was warm whereas it was like september i think when we did a few of those things so it was a bit cold and then december it was a bit colder but yeah you you do these things and just to kind of jog a memory and it's really really intriguing when you've not been somewhere i think because different things jog different memories mm-hmm. like i find i found the smell of things really jogged memories you know, you, you can see something on paper, but it's, or maybe it was a combination of the all your senses and it's all tr- kind of triggering a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like whether it was the smell of certain pine trees mixed with you know the water and or things that maybe you haven't smelt for a long time, it was really quite intriguing. Yeah, and I didn't go chapping on people's doors or like, looking <laughs> for old friends or anything, but um, I definitely caught up with a few people and. And I took my kid, kids to this pond that my granddad used to take me to. So it would have been comfortably 40 years ago. He used to take us like fishing with little nets and stuff. And I'm looking at it going, I wouldn't let my kids walk around in there barefooted. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess 40 years of yeah, run off into this little pond makes a difference. But um, 
Yeah, it's quite interesting. I, uh, you know, it's good. I think it's good to do that sort of stuff because it really, mm. you know, you you remind yourself really that not just memories, there were real things that really did happen, and if that makes sense. And I'd yeah. like to do more of it. I liked, you know, it was all kind of done in a bit of a rush. I'd like to maybe that's why I'd like to go back because it give you a bit more time to go for a walk up the hill behind where I used to live and spend the day doing it rather than just stop in for ten minutes and mm. look at something. See if you can find some, some maybe like I'm sure there's a couple of trees I carved my initials into somewhere. <laughs> See if you could find them. Show the kids or a bit of concrete and maybe put my initials in somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So how old are your kids now? They're eleven and nine. So I've got a girl okay. who's eleven and boy who's nine. Yeah. So it's not going to be long. Another six or seven years and they'll both be grown up and hopefully left home. Or <laughs> <laughs> But they might they might travel as well. Like I think my eldest, she's quite interested in Scotland. Mm-hmm. She likes the fact that she's got extended family there. Like she, so, she's got grandparents here. But I guess there's not an extended family, and she's quite aware that um, like her friends have got cousins and uncles and all that. Kind of like you know, if you're here for generations, you've got that kind of history. Mm. And when we went back, you could just see how she was with when the family were around. You know, her her eyes lit up. She was part of a bigger family, and she just, you know, I think maybe girls, women like that more, don't they? Like it was a social aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, even just getting ready for something, they were all getting their clothes on and putting makeup on, and she was in the middle of it. It was just like, wow. Like I'm really, you know, I've got a family here, and she knows now that. Like my cousins there, I've got some cousins who've got young kids the same age, and so there's and there's there's other reasons we we could go back. I think there's there's a good education system in Scotland. It used to be if you lived there for a year, you got access to it. I think they've changed it now because every man and his dog was going back. And I was wondering whether you were one of those people who craved haggis or occasionally gets the kilt out. <laughs> I definitely like a bit of black pudding now and again. Okay. Yeah, like I'll regularly buy black pudding and I've I've even made potato scones. I've made a Scottish fry up for a friend a couple of times. You know, I made there's this there's something called an Aberdeenshire buttery. It's called a buttery in Aberdeen, but and it's like a Scottish croissant, so except it's not light and fluffy, it's more flat and square. But it's essentially a Scottish croissant because it's when I mean, it's just flour, water, lard, and butter and salt, and you fold it, keep layering it and folding it. So mm-hmm. the same way as you do a kind of croissant, but instead of twirling it, you just leave it folded, and it's you know I guess something that they used to give to the fishermen because it would last ages and high in energy. Okay. But my God, these are these are so delicious. I stick them in the toaster. So made a few of those, keep a few of those going. But I haven't, do you know, it's, I've never had a kilt until quite recently. Yeah, I've been pretty lax at keeping some Scottish <laughs> traditions going. Yeah. yeah. I used to be pretty big on like things like Burns Night. So the first few years, mm-hmm. even, you know, for a few years, we'd, we'd go to some of these Burns Nights and take people along and, but just got out of the habit of it, really. And I find some of the Scottish societies really, you know, as a youngster, you know, in your 20s, you know it was yeah hopefully it's changed maybe but certainly at the time it was quite depressing it wasn't <laughs> what you expected you wanted a big Kaylee and a big party and usually a bit of a piss up and 
everyone having a good time. The kids got to see Akeley when they were back in Scotland and they were quite they were like, oh my God. And I went to a wedding in Scotland and took pictures and they couldn't actually believe that everybody did wear kilts. They were like, we thought you were only kidding. I was like, no, like when you go to a wedding in Scotland, everybody wears kilts, like literally everybody. So they thought that was mind blowing really, yeah. I should probably just get you to explain what a Kaylee is, which obviously I know, but I think a lot of people who might be listening might not know the, what the Scottish tradition is. What a Kaylee is. I don't know what the word stands for, but it's basically like a Scottish barn dance where you have um, choreographed, all well-known choreographed dances to certain songs. So, for example, Strip of the Willow, and it has certain actions and moves, and usually it involves men dancing with the ladies in a certain order and, and you can change partners while you're doing it and there's lots of prancing around and arm arm holding twirling around and and it's usually at the point where you're quite inebriated so <laughs> um and you quite often have an mc so these things you can have kayleys on their own so quite often at any any party you can just have a kaylee but quite often for weddings you'd have a, the kaylee would be the dance part of the wedding and you know, Hogmanay at New Year's, you'd have it. And they have modernised it a little bit. I noticed that they've kind of tried to modernise the Kayleys to make it a little bit more a little bit more upbeat and faster. Okay. And, and some of the dances get faster as you go along. And so if you, there'll be an MC or a person leading the whole thing. So, yeah, it's quite, it's quite good. Definitely good fun. Is there anything that you particularly uh, miss from Scotland here? Uh, probably family. Yeah, I hadn't really... Like I said, I wasn't really that fast, but I think as you grow up and get a bit older and you realise how um, fragile families are and they can just disappear pretty quickly. And also the fact that there isn't an extended family or a big extended family around for the kids. It's something I've definitely over the last few years realised that you know you, you miss it without realizing it's you're missing it i guess yeah and do, do your kids like maintain contact with any of their relatives in yeah, scotland yeah and absolutely so my dad regularly comes out here or he had to do before covid so he was out every year so and spend three or four weeks here so they've got a great little relationship with him we regularly facetime him and uh, they send each other postcards from everywhere they go so that's kind of like a nice little thing so we've got a fridge yeah. covered with postcards and yeah they, they do have a good relationship with them and like some good memories as well of, of him getting the wrong bus to Sandy Bay and <laughs> <laughs> them telling him they should have got off somewhere else but he didn't he insisted and you know, that's all you really want isn't it to put kids to have these kind of memories of their grandparents I guess yeah I say I was lucky but I don't know that they had summer schools or daycares and stuff as much when I was growing up so we used to get packed off on the bus to the grandparents for the school holidays yeah. and um, so I've got great memories of hanging out with my grandparents. Did, did your grandparents live near nearby? No well like I said they were the other side of the country like it wasn't oh, okay. that far but it'd be like even from Glasgow it was maybe two hours on a bus or something I think so we'd sit in this bus for two hours and but that's what you did, I guess, isn't it? It's like going to Launceston back yeah, in the day. Yeah. It's no, no real different if your parents lived up in Devonport or somewhere. 